Before we begin, I'd just like to remind you that this episode is also available as a video. So if you'd like to check out myself and Andy in all our uh, glory, then head over to youtube.com forward slash at Pottywood. Get some gin. Yes. <laughs> so I can tell it's been a long day. It's 10 p.m. I'm, I'm teetotal at the moment. Uh. <sighs> I'm drinking for two. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another rip-roaring episode of Pottywood Interviews. Yes, this is where we talk about movies with the people who make movies. But before we bring out this week's guest, let me introduce myself. I am one of your co-hosts, Steve Hester, and joining me, as always, is... Uh, that'll be me, the other co-host, Andrew Roger Carson... It has been a glorious uh, couple of weeks since our Uber Bowl episode. Obviously, we had uh, Gino Anthony Pesey last week, which was also mm -hmm. well-received. So, naturally, we have to keep the momentum going when it comes to our Partywood interviews. And we were incredibly lucky because we have a tremendous actress joining us today. And I'm going to get the name right for once in my career. Samira Armstrong. Samira, how are you? Oh, thank you so much. You said that so brilliantly, actually. That was perfect. I have a He doesn't usually get time. them right. He really doesn't. Usually there's three or four takes. <laughs> I I never even get your name right, and I've known you for 10 years. <laughs> I know. It was a, a kind of light introduction there because there is so much of your career to cover. You're not only mm -hmm. an actress, you're also a producer. You're a well-regarded fashion designer as well. Well, I don't um, know if well-regarded, but... Yes, yeah, well-regarded. Yeah. Well okay. I'm wearing you right now. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but I will also say, as soon as I mentioned online that you were coming onto our show, we had a tremendous wave of people saying, oh, my God, she is fantastic. What? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So, yes, we did. Come uh, on. And I will mention one in particular, Vicky Saunders, is I just subscribed specifically so she can see your show, and she is a huge oh fan of yours. Oh my gosh! Wow! Hi, Vicky. Hi. Uh, we're gonna do uh, a bit of a biographical journey through oh. elements of your career. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it, it's bound to be a roller coaster ride. It is okay. for many. And uh, I had to go right back here uh, before you became famous in film and TV. So this one, I was trying to get my head around. Okay. So you were born in Tokyo. Yes. Your father is Scottish and your mother is Italian. Yes. Not only that, so your mother designed spas for hotel resorts. Yes. And your father taught close combat training uh, for the army. Uh, yeah. Marines. How in the hell? Yes. The Marines. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Marines. Sorry, Marines. Now... How did these two people meet? <laughs> yes, because this I, is a melting pot and a half. I'm no kidding. Um, I guess, uh, well, you know you know where they align is in values and character, and then they couldn't be uh, more different, obviously, in occupation and interests. But it, it's I always very much felt like it, they were very yin and yang and fit together perfectly because of that. Um, yeah, they're they're... I feel so lucky to be born as their child. I 
they're, they've offered me quite the opportunity of perspective on life that is pretty unique, I think. In a way, so you would class them as both experts at sparring. <laughs> so, oh, good God. Uh, you know no, what? That, that was uh, really good. I was, I was building to that joke all week. I was like, that's a killer. That, that's the one. Save that one for Thanksgiving. That was pretty good. (laughs) Well, you are a dad. Is that right? Yes. That was a great dad joke. That was a a great dad joke. I'm copywriting that one. (laughs) If that's on Fallon next week. (laughs) I don't think Fallon's on Fallon next week at the moment. No. No. Uh, Living in Tokyo, I mean, that's a completely different culture. Yeah. Uh, but you, you'd moved around quite a bit. So you'd lived in Malaysia, uh, you'd lived in China, you moved to Hawaii as well. And then Arizona was where you settled in the US. I think I've got all of that geography right. Yes. In the right well, it, the geography is right. I didn't actually live in China. I visited when I was a baby and uh, Malaysia, we also visited. But um, I did grow up in Japan for you know, some really important years in terms of like how your brain is developing. So it, Mm -hmm. and and to what you said in terms of culture, it was so different than what we have here. After you are raised in Japan in like your formative years and you see the absolute beauty in the visuals of what's what you what is around you and also just like the culture the festivals the um community the traditions and then you come to america which in many ways lacks a lot of that um it's kind of like well this is it (laughs) you know and don't get me wrong i'm a big fan of america but as a kid um the the surrealism of the art expressed through, you know, television for children, but also in the lights and the, uh, and then obviously the the um, architecture. I mean, it's it's so unique. Um, it wasn't lost on me even as an eight year old or a five year old or you you know all those years. Um, and then the stark contrast of being in the states, which of course, depending on which state you're in, has a different essence to it but uh after I left Japan I was like well it doesn't get any better than that you you know and um I think one thing I really grasped to um in terms of sensibility is an idea of space and politeness Mm -hmm. which uh, just becomes embedded into you and is so different in America um but I also think it, it allowed me to pick up on human uh, tendencies notice things differently or like maybe be a little bit more sensitive to things that maybe others weren't um it it just i was i was a black sheep wherever i went because of it you know and and not necessarily in a bad way but i was definitely the outsider did did he come as a little bit of a shock because i i've been to arizona and um the two things which I noticed. Firstly, it is the hottest place I have ever been to in my life. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, my trainers were melting on the no, on the asphalt. It's true. It's, they actually do. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing is, there's so much space. Yes. 
so much space yeah. there. And versus versus uh, uh, like the the Far East and Japan, yeah, where where everything is so compact and you've got so yeah. many people in so much of, of a yes. small area. Do you remember if that was kind of like a little culture shock? Yeah, I mean, and the, the way we, we we moved, so I was born in Japan, we moved to Humboldt County, moved back to Japan, moved to Palm Desert, moved back to Japan, moved to Hawaii, and then moved to Arizona. So it was it was spliced up quite a bit. Um, but I remember, I think I was, I was seven or eight years old, and my dad, we didn't have a car, so we drove bicycles everywhere, bicycles in the subway. Mm-hmm. And we would do... Uh, eye exercises to make sure that our eyes didn't conform to this compact existence because everything is essentially right in front of you. So we would try to see as far as possible for, you know, it's 20 seconds at a time. And we do these little exercises to make sure that we regulated our sight to not be, um, I guess, stunted. I don't know if that's a thing. I don't, Mm -hmm. we've always done weird exercise type things. I don't even know if that makes sense, but um, and then coming to Arizona, I actually came from Hawaii, which again is another stark contrast. Um, and I was I was pretty mortified at first. I was going into high school, and um, it was pretty. Uh, how do I put this? Uh, uh, I thought it was the end of my life, you know. But now, when I say that, I I don't live in the middle of the desert. I live I well, we are technically in the middle of the desert, but I live in Sedona, which is these ginormous red mountains um surrounding mm. our small little city so it's quite gorgeous too um yeah nothing ever has been very typical growing up so it's it's all just been so weird you know so in kind of constant motion that kind of perfectly sets you up for life as an actor because it always is constantly changing absolutely yeah I changing the people when we finally moved to arizona my family's now been here for almost 30 years but Prior to that, we were moving every two years. That's the per- perfect background to settle you into acting. So where did you get the bug? Where, where did the acting bug come from? Um, so uh, do you, you guys are my age, right? We're around the same age, born in the 80s. Is that right? No. Well, no, well uh, uh, slightly <laughs> outside of the 80s. But like just uh, just a, a, a chip into the 70s, oh, 78, yeah. 79 for us. Yeah. Okay, okay. So you remember... The movie Aliens. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, so, God, yes. Wonderful. Yes. So uh, that was like my first memory of a, a film that I saw. And uh, she, it had such a big impact on me that I just knew immediately. I, I not only wanted to be Sigourney Weaver, but I also wanted to do what she was doing, which was storytelling. My mother was an actress growing up, um, so she was very uh, supportive of that. And, and you know, it's one of those things that... There, when you know what you want and and I can, I can say, say this fairly confidently. I I think I was three or four when I was like, I'm going to be an actress. I couldn't tell you why exactly. I think we had like three channels at this particular time. We lived in Humboldt County, which is Northern California. And, um, I I distinctly remember changing the channel on the knob for my parents. So we didn't get a lot of reception out there. So it's not like I watched a lot of film or television. It was like, this is what I want to do. But I was certainly, I think it's the storytelling aspect, which isn't necessarily uh, specific to film or television. Storytelling is, you know, historically a a trait of carrying on uh, lineages. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's very human. Um, So I think that was something that was just embedded 
grow birthed with perhaps uh feeling like not only that I want to do it but also it was partially my responsi- responsibility to do it well we had uh, Gino on uh on one of our previous episodes and he was talking about how he had uh the moment and that everybody I think who wants to act and perform has just like one film which kind of ties him back in and for him it was Goonies Oh. And it's the one film that kind of uh-huh. starts you off. Uh, for me personally, it was Ghostbusters. Uh, this oh. is the first that I ever thought about chest-busting xenomorphs being an impetus <laughs> for a life of performing. But uh, it's a good choice, though. It's a great film. No, yes, it is. Yes, it's a very good that choice. That is a great film. Well, your debut, I believe, uh, came playing the character Meredith in Party of Five. So, actually, my first job was... Um, a co-star on Freaks and Geeks. Oh, wow. Mm. Yes. And then what was really neat about that was, you know, I think when, you, when you're when you're starting something, you're pretty naive to the process. And it was like, okay, I'm going to move to California. I was 17 years old. and uh, Or actually, I was 18, 18 years old. And, um, and I thought, well, of course it's going to work. This is what I'm meant to do. And, you know, and then it takes more time than you imagine. And so that I, I booked a co-star and it's never, it's never the same path to the job. You know, you, you might not hear about it. You might, it, it might go in two weeks later, you hear about it. You might think you bombed it and then you get it. You might think you did a great job and then you don't get it. And this was one of those moments. And um, so I, I was so excited. They actually ended up writing me into more episodes. And then I was like, well, I've made it, you know, and, um, <laughs> And then it was the season cliffhanger. It, my character leads one uh, Linda Cardellini off to uh, go on a Grateful Dead tour. And, you know, in my mind, okay, we're coming back next season. I'm going to be in the cast. And then, of course, the show gets canceled, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, that's the biz. That's how it, that's how it goes. Um, but that was a wonderful experience. And then uh, Meredith, I believe, was on the Party of Five, was my first guest star small distinctions but yeah Yeah. but it was but it was it was a a decent year actually i mean this was 2000 2001 Mm -hmm. i get it right so at the time i mean you are appearing on major shows so you're in the x-files you're in er which is two of the biggest shows of all time at that point you're also on judging amy for that time which is a a big show so you were getting consistent kind of roles in television around this time yeah you're right and I I, again I think it goes back to sort of the naivete of starting something without knowing I feel like in many ways as I progressed into my career I put my own doubts into things because again as a kid you're like of course it's gonna work and then as you get older and then you've got a child and then you've got bills and you've got all these other elements that um, sort of make you believe that maybe it won't work um, but but it really is mindset because, you know, the path to your dreams is as easy or challenging, not necessarily based on what's actually happening, but probably what is more so it going on in your head and then what that leads to actually happening. Um, I think I was just so brazen before um, when I first got started that that it, it almost seemed easy. I, I, oh, this is going to sound so bad, but um, I kind of stopped the watching the X Files around about series seven. 
okay. And wow. and yeah, I did do a little bit of research and saw that you came in in series nine. Oh, okay. okay. So yeah. you were in the last one, and I didn't. I didn't see any of it. I it, really didn't. It takes well, a lot of commitment to get that many seasons in viewing. Yes. Yeah. Um. He went. He went off to do evolution. Right. <laughs> How'd okay. that work out, David? Uh, <laughs> Lee. Leave Ivan alone. Leave Ivan Reitman alone. He was trying, bless him. Um, okay, well, not only were you making a mark in TV in these small roles, you finally landed your first big screen role, and we, we know what this is. Oh, yeah. We have mentioned this before. Uh, you played Cara Fratelli, one <laughs> half of conjoined twins in Not yes. Another Teen Movie. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so that was my, my big, you know, blockbuster break. I, I don't know if it was a blockbuster, but this was my big first studio film. I had actually auditioned for the lead and obviously didn't get it. But as a consolation prize, they offered me this role, which was, I, I thought was like, wow, that's very cool. Um, my mom at the time was like, you don't want your first project to be a controlling twin, you know, in, in this raunchy movie. And I'm like, yeah, I think I, I think I'm okay with that. You know, why wouldn't I? <laughs> uh, but you know, as I got older, I was like, here we go. You know, this is what she warned about. Um, but yeah, no, it was fun. I met a lot of wonderful people, and um, it, you know, it's one of those movies that people still talk about. And I, I probably as odd as the character was, I think I, I mean, I probably had more of a benign part in it compared to other things that were going on. Oh, it's, it's still got a laugh. There's, there's certain things that I remember about it. Obviously, it being Chris Evans' first ever movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jamie Presley was also in there. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I, I remember the conjoined twin joke. So when you said it the other day, I was like, oh, my God. I totally forgot about it, but I remember it. Yeah. And then everyone just seems to remember. And when I looked it up, not another teen movie. It's like the one thing that just crops up is the fact that the yellow Power Ranger was completely nude throughout the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, like, she sure. was the yellow Power Ranger? Yeah, in oh, um, one of the Power Ranger series, yeah. Oh my gosh. Really? Yeah. yeah. I did not know that. I wow. did not know that. She, um, but... she and I met in an acting class uh, in Los Angeles um, while, I think, I can't remember if it was before or after that movie. It must have been no, I think we I think we were shooting that simultaneously. Um, it's a very sweet girl. Yeah, it was it was apparently a huge gamble for her because apparently a lot of her Power Ranger fans were like, of oh. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she's the only member of the Power Rangers who has ever gone nude in a movie. Uh, I I remember seeing uh, not another team movie, and it the one thing that stood out to me more than anything else. Um, was if you looked at all of the the movie movies that were starting to come out around about that time, um, uh, epic movie, epic date movie, movie, date yeah. movie, all of those oh, other right. ones. Yeah. Um, the main thing which uh, not another team movie had, which the other ones didn't, was that he was actually funny. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. actually had some really good yeah. jokes in it that mm -hmm. weren't just consciously um, ripping off scenes from from yeah. other movies it had some actually great jokes in it the one that got me was the um the varsity blues scene instead of ali Lata with all of the the cream and stuff on a naked body it's chris evans <laughs> and he like turns yeah. around and he's got the cone sticking out of his butt right <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's, that's captain america cool. for god's sake oh dear <laughs> 
But yeah, uh, obviously, moving on from there, I think you became very popular for your role oh. on the OC. Right. Anna Stern. Yes. So, yes. as I understand, it was, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was only supposed to be one episode, but you, your character started to get a bit of a fan following. Yeah. And they ended up bringing you back, but they didn't make you a series regular. Yes. So, I remember seeing a advertisement for it um, in my in my apartment in Los Angeles and being like, wow, that looks amazing. And then getting the audition for it. And at that point, I had been uh, auditioning so much. I just didn't get my hope up over, over anything. But on the flip side to that, I also didn't get much enthusiasm up either. <laughs> so I think that, you know, in, in some ways, again, it, go, it all goes back to mindset. You know, I, I've heard a story about, um, what's his name? Uh, Benicio Del Toro. I don't know if this is true, but he had an audition and he, in the waiting room, started just like smoking a cigarette. And um, they're like, you can't do that. And he's like, why not? You know, and and, and he was just such an interesting uh, human being in terms of like, he didn't have that same desperation that so many of us have when we are in the position of being in an opportunity to get a part. And I think there have been slivers of moments in my career where I've been there, whether it be by nature of what's happening in my life or just maybe a maturing. Um, at that particular point, I was just excited because I knew some of the people in, in the show and mm -hmm. I, I felt very much unburdened by the desperation to get the job. And I think when you have that combination, it's just then they just want you. You know, they they just yeah. like they can smell it on you, and they're like, "Wow, she can take it or leave it. Let's give it to her." I don't know what that's about, but I've seen that over and over again, and I've heard other actors comment on that as well. So I I had this audition, and and the other thing that I think was a bit freeing for me was that the character was written. She was she had like long brown hair. She was a bookworm at that time. I kind of looked like my vibe and I can, I can say this. I don't know if I looked it. I was trying to look like Drew Barrymore in the nineties with the short curly blonde yeah. hair. You know, and I, I had the short curly or short sort of wavy blonde hair. And so I didn't fit the character description. So it was like, again, another tick for the, well, I've got nothing to lose. Cause it's not my, like, it's just not me. And I think that, you know, and then this is another thing I hear all the time is like, you'll have these actors come in trying to do what the character description is, being so specific to it. And, um, and then finally someone else is a little bit different, even though the you know producers or directors or writers were not even thinking about going that way, but it just was enough to be like, wow, that's in an interesting choice that could be bring some dynamic. And now I'm putting so much information on what I only assume is going on on the other side of the OC because <laughs> I don't actually know, but um, I got the job and then w because it was airing and they were about a few weeks behind in terms of production. So it used to be prior prior to this particular episode, uh, series that in this moment in time, television would air and then it meaning television would shoot and then months later it would air. And it, and then like a different market would pick it up or a different country would pick it up. And it'd be like years out from production at this moment in time, the way the internet was working, the way network deals were working. And it, it was like worldwide instantaneously, but also the production was only, I, I want to say 
I want to say it was only eight days behind. Like, I don't think we were many wow. episodes. Oh, really? uh, and I can't, I'm sure that's an exaggeration because that would literally mean it was airing. And then the next, then the, in two weeks it was airing again, but it was, it was something very fast paced in that regard. I don't think we were a month behind. I think if anything, I'd love to get that, that answered, but we, we were very, it was the closest I've ever been to theater. Because theater, you get the immediate response, and that response, you do the work, and then immediately was on on television, and there it was. So because of that, when the audience responded to my character, I was I didn't I wasn't I hadn't gone anywhere else. You know, it was still I was still available, and they're like, well, like maybe we should we should throw her in again. It sounds um, like you had the same the type of pace of like a soap opera. It felt like it. I don't, it was cert, It was not that quick for sure. Um, mm. uh, soap operas are, you know, you've got like, I don't even know how many scenes they shoot in the day, but um, one episode was eight, eight days. So two weeks ish. And right. then post-production. And as you're shooting the second episode, you know, the, the post-production. So it's this fairly rapid um, uh, transpiring of getting on to the TV. Straight on the fallout from the OC. I mean, you land in the golden show that's yeah. on TV at the moment. You land in I Entourage. Don't know I got that job. I mean, that's another example. And, and, and you know, the mystery of Hollywood is, is that you'll never understand the mystery. Because in my mind, I, I, I get sick of seeing the same person over and over again. And in my mind, I'm like, well, I just was on this, you know, hit show. Why in the world would another hit show want me? But the, the way Hollywood actually works is like, she's bankable, let's bank on her too. And another character, Emily for, from Entourage, another character who I thought I was so wrong for um, in terms of character description and like, you know, what I brought versus what was appearing to be brought by other actors in, in, for the audition for that. Um, but here's a weird thing. So when I first moved to LA, I watched a lot of Oprah during the, during the day. Yeah. Uh, she had this, she had this uh, motivational speaker come in and say, uh, if you, here's a, here's a tool that you can use. What you're going to do is you're going to draw a circle. You're going to write everything you want in your life inside the circle and everything you want outside of your life, everything that's in it now that you want out, you write outside. And so I did this little thing in my journal and I wrote, I want to be on two hit shows and I think it was three movies this year. Totally forgot about it. And then that, that happened to be the year I was on yep. the OC, two hit shows, the OC entourage. I did just my luck. I did stay alive and I did one other movie. I can't remember off the top of my head, but you know, so it's there's something magical going on. I mean, it was so specific to what I had requested from the universe. Um, I went back years later and saw that, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that worked!" And then tried it again, and then I think, you know, I don't. It, it's never quite worked the same way. <laughs> but um, I mean, you know, no to be honest, it was, uh, and it was a sizable role. This is, I think, where I first kind of discovered you because I had not seen the OC, mm -hmm. but I was into Entourage. And you were Ari Gold's assistant, and you were the love interest for Kevin Connolly's character. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you were in it for at least a good half season, right? Yeah, I think the first season was eight episodes. I, I, it was somewhere around eight. Maybe I had eight episodes and it was ten, or I had six eight six episodes and it was eight. But I, I did, yeah, I was there for a while. But it, it was just. Uh, 
I can't remember if it's a guest star or reoccurring, but I, I was not mm. a regular. And those guys are so wonderful. They remain wonderful. I learned so much from Jeremy Piven and Kevin Conley. Um, it was such a great, great group of people to be around. Definitely a boys club, um, but so much fun. You've done uh, a movie or two under your belt and you've done the TV series as well. Yeah. Um, in your mind, which one was easier on you? Uh, probably television because it lasts longer. You get into a routine. You get more, um, you know, depending on your your role on the show. For so for me, um, you know, I had a lot. I had a lot of time to myself to be able to balance the two. Um, typically, at that time, and this is totally different now. But uh, films were taking like four weeks, and production for a TV show had a lot more um, stability to it and therefore it maybe felt less frantic. Now films are like, we can just get it out in a week and a half. You know, it's crazy. Oh God. Yeah. Yes. It's easy uh, that you end up with things like the Avengers and it comes out in about, it's going to be coming out next year. We're going to be in post-production for 18 months. Right, and, right, right. Uh, yeah. But we're going to send you 58 trailers just to, <laughs> to yeah, build up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, and, I, uh, my favorite thing is like, you know, building these relationships with the people on set uh, yeah. that you get to work with and creating a family dynamic. Um, you know, it's a quite, quite a lonely experience being an actor. I'm, I mean, I'm sure being a human being, but um, in terms of your day to day, it's not like you go to, into an office. So you know when you're when you're trying to get the job, it's just you in your head, and you know I'm trying to make it, you know. And then so when you finally get that place to land and a community to create something with, it's just such a beautiful experience. I can I can honestly say I've never had a show where. I didn't love being there. Now there's been moments of the experience, like the OC, for example, I definitely like it hit me very, very hard in many ways that while the acting isn't just about being in front of the, the um, camera, like you also have to uh, navigate the political world of bureaucracy, you know, of, yeah. of you know, all these dynamics. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, you take the good with the bad and um, what is more amazing than achieving your dreams, right? Just to say that, like, gosh, I, I had this idea and now I got it and I worked towards it and I put in the effort and I mean, I think there's nothing more beautiful in life than having a dream and experiencing the outcome of, of meeting up with that dream. I mean, that's yeah. so magical. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I think agree. it. I think the only the only issue really that I or that I found with uh, with performing anyway with acting is it, it does feel a bit ephemeral uh -huh. at times. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if you yeah. whereas if you're an artist, you can have right. oh, that's the painting. Whereas a lot yeah. of the times when you're performing and and you're in and you're involved in these things, it's uh -huh. kind of done, and then you're moving on to the next thing. And so yes, yes, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, do you anchor into the experience because the experience is gone and you may or may not get to see it on screen, but the, the result of it is not really in your hands, right? Yeah. yeah. So, exactly. yeah, I think in those kind of situations, it's better to, to have that little group around you. Yeah. 
you then rely on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a good segue, actually, into 2006 and a movie that you've already mentioned in Just My Look, which was, I think it's safe to say, a Lindsay Lohan vehicle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, you play one of her friends along with oh, Brie Turner. Oh! I'm sorry. That, Brie Turner was my mid-2000s crush. I crushed oh, so God. hard on this woman. It was unreal. Oh. Oh, Brie Turner but, is a fan-freaking-tastic human being. I've, I have heard this. Yes. I've heard this. Yeah. But uh, I, I, <laughs> the saddest thing, and I'm going to actually get this out there because one day she's going to end up on the shelves just so yeah. I can be totally embarrassed. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, I crushed so hard on her from seeing her in a children's movie called Firehouse Dog. <laughs> and it was the movie. Uh-huh. It was the movie that my daughter watched over and over. And any time oh. Brie Turner smiled on screen, my uh-huh. daughter would smile and laugh. Oh. And, I, and it was like, I think I love this woman. Oh. <laughs> so, but yes, and so for a while she'd she'd crop up in like movies that were out around that time, and I was like, yeah. "That's her from Firehouse Dog." Yeah. And yes, so yes. Um, anyway, also in the movie you have uh, a little-known actor by Chris Pine. I wonder what happened to that guy. Yeah. I'm not seeing him. Uh-huh. No, no. Not seeing him in anything in hours. Right. <laughs> he he but, boldly uh, went off somewhere. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, but I mean, the the unfortunate thing is, and it's not a bad movie. I would admit it's not a bad movie. It just, it did kind of, I, I guess you can say, underperformed at the box office. And I think this was around the time it was after Mean Girls, and it was around the time I think Lindsay Lohan's was on a bit of a, a downward spiral. But the film was not actually bad. But what are your uh, memories of Just My Luck? Oh gosh! <laughs> um... You can tell us, and we can cut them out. <laughs> So I'm just going to be completely honest, mostly, mostly completely honest, and then just forego other things without just not saying so. Um, you know, it was widely known that Lindsay had struggles. And incidentally, simultaneously, I was experiencing my own. And oh. there is something very challenging going into an industry where all of a sudden you're being told how great you are and you, you know, you, you haven't done anything different than the day before, but the day before you couldn't get arrested in the town or, or, you know, meaning we all start from not making it and then go to making it and not having really any clue what the difference in the day was. And I think, I think that can really mess with you. And then on top of that, you know, you add youth, I mean, I was, I think I was 23 or 24 at the time. She must have been 18, maybe. I'm not even sure. I I mean, I think she's a few years younger than me. Um, And that just does something to you. I mean, your brain is still developing. And so, you know, she had a lot of struggles, as did I. And, um, you know, thankfully we made it out alive. I do know that production went on way longer than it should have. Um, And it wasn't a scheduling issue. Um, You know, it was because we weren't, you know, some people weren't making it to set. Um, We were done with too much access, you know. Um, I think that's true for any 20 year old. Uh, 
with responsibility that maybe they're not prepared for. But I don't know why. I honestly don't know why. I thought it was a cute movie. I can't imagine why it, it didn't do better than it did. I, all the pieces of the recipe to be a, a great project. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened at the end of the day. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought it was fun. Uh, I like it. Brie Turner's in it, so it works yeah. for me. Yeah. You see, the thing is here, in the same year that that movie bombs, you're a lead in a hit. Mm. An unexpected hit as well, which is a movie called Stay Alive, oh. which Steve here will probably appreciate because it's all about video games that kill you, like <laughs> yes. video games is yeah. killing him. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so In a completely different way, really. Um, <laughs> this film opens at number three at the box office. And this was, was this your first lead? Because you were the main, one of the main protagonists in the movie, right? Um, yes. Yeah. I, so I shot Just My Luck and Stay Alive within like a month of each other. Um, Which came first? Just My Luck. Right. Okay. Yeah. And they both shot in New Orleans. Um, and then uh, they both, I think, came out around the same time. Is, is that right? I believe so. There, there wasn't much of a gap between them. But I, I yeah. do know that Stay Alive is on record as the last movie shot in New Orleans before Hurricane oh, Katrina hit. Yes. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. So it's the last movie to feature New Orleans of how it used to look before the hurricane wow. hit. Wow. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that was that was very heavy. Decimated. Yeah. 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 No, I don't, I don't re- I I've not actually seen I've not actually seen Stay Alive, but I do remember the the the, the poster with the uh with the controller that's kind yes. of covered in covered in blood. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which is usually you when you failed a level. Um, <laughs> Brett, Brett Bell is a great director. He went on to do Orphan. Um, yes. Oh, and yeah. yeah, that was a great movie. Um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting experience. Uh, New Orleans has it presents its own eeriness and certainly more suitable to film a thriller horror thriller out there than a romantic comedy i think um but i i've i've done maybe like five movies out there it's one of my favorite places to film yeah and correct me if i'm wrong if your character was was she a photographer she was yes so when you take the pictures of uh is it the ghosts or something along that lines i'm trying to remember it rightly because i remember it was very based upon like the project zero game which steve will remember as one of the scariest horror games i think oh. congratulations played. on knowing project zero yes of course yeah i yeah. played it for about 15 minutes and then i was like <laughs> 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 i can watch it i ain't playing it but yes um just like alien isolation with me i love those films i cannot play the game too 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 scary or oh yeah Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, uh, to be honest, I mean I love horror, yeah. But horror's getting too good nowadays. Yes, you know. So, yeah. um, the Insidious films are some of the most terrifying things I think I've ever sat through. And there's another really? one coming out shortly that oh. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. Wait, wait Insidious, you say? Yeah. So it... I think Patrick Wilson has actually directed this one, yes. and I think it's the fifth one. But oh, wow. the trailer was enough to terrify the hell out of me. 
Oof. Yeah, I, but I will I, watch it. Yeah, let me see. I'm looking at. Yeah, I I can't get scared by those movies. I've I've got. You, you know, can't. Every, I can't. No, it's the 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 the. Wait, no. Am I getting that confused? What, what's the one where it's the? Oh, it's the Conjuring. It's the Conjuring. Yeah, Sorry, that's, that's like the Patrick Wilson one. Yeah, because yeah, he he appears in both. That's it. It's the Conjuring series. It's all the um, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yes. Stuff. I I uh, I can't buy into those at all. <laughs> you you do get to act in this movie alongside. An actor who, uh, for some reason, I've always loved this actor, and he's one person I would die to get on this show one day. Jimmy so, Simpson. No. Oh. Close. Adam okay. Goldberg. Oh, of course. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I actually didn't get to meet him because our scenes were not in the same anything. Uh, I'm dying to get him on to talk to him about working with Julie Delpy, so then we can segue into another Before Sunrise movie just for Steve. Because uh-huh. I tortured him with those two movies. Uh-huh. And he's still got to get through the third. Um, but yeah, I mean, Stay Alive is a hit. And then, straight after that, you're in another hit movie. And I think probably your biggest hit movie. And uh, I've got, this is such a good movie. It's what? a boy-girl thing. Oh! Right? Was it a hit? <laughs> it was a hit. It, it was, was, huh? Yeah. Wow. It was a box office hit, and this was the first time that you were really praised uh, for a performance. Oh, yeah. Everyone, I remember at the time saying, you know, this is, you know, this is a major star coming out. You were so funny in it. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, my it gosh, was. I had no idea. See, I don't get the feedback. I had a manager who said, if you believe, and this is probably why, if you believe what the good things they say about you, you have to believe the bad things they say about you. So don't believe any of it. So I absorbed, this is all new information to me. I actually didn't know how success, I don't know if you're just being nice, but, oh, no. or, or no. okay. I'm I, not that nice. I, 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 <laughs> you're not nice. Um, yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. I never read anything. I have no, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I thought I, it was a great, story it was a great script i love working with kevin so much fun it was also very confusing because like i'm playing a boy but i'm playing a girl who's not me who's playing a boy who's not her or me so you know it's like these weird sort of yeah trying to so the, the high school body swap comedy is basically yes, what you say so the it's the high school body. jock going into the the pretty princess girl yeah. body and vice versa yeah, yeah, yeah. and it works so well it Off really did work so well. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was a surprise here because there was a lot of movies, kind of uh, teen movies that were coming out at the time. They, they say mm-hmm. the fallout from the American Pie films and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. you know, but but this was a lot smarter. I'm really kind of sweet as well. Yeah. In a way, for an unconventional love story. Yeah. And I was surprised in rewatching it this week and then seeing, hang on. Is that Elton John's name in the credits? He executive produced that movie. Yes, yes. David Furnish, his husband, and Elton John's production company. David's production company um, and Elton John. Yes, yeah. That must have been one wild rap party. (laughs) Yes, yes. As was their wedding. Did you go to the wedding? I, I, not the actual where they exchanged vows, but the after 
you know, the after presentation where everyone close to them is brought and it, what a wild time in life. It's surreal. Wow. Wonderful people. They were very wonderful. I mean, the, the amazing thing here is just my look, stay alive. And it's a boy girl thing. are all in the same year. Yeah. Really? Right. So you, you kind of start off with the, the bigger cast movie, obviously with Lindsay Lohan, Chris yeah. Pine yeah. and all that for just my look. And then these two kind of smaller films yeah. just really resonate. Uh -huh. it, it's really amazing uh, to look through that because Stay Alive is good. It's a boy girl thing is great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got to admit. Yeah. I remember seeing the films. poster to that everywhere. You're oh, yes. No, I, I, uh, in a uh, little town, little town where I grew up, there'd be you'd walk into the main shopping area. There'd be a poster up here. There'd be a poster up there. You'd see it on the the buses, oh, on the uh, on the phone booths. Do you remember oh, phone yeah. booths? Yeah. Oh, oh yes. God. Yep. They had the posters on there. It was everywhere. Wow. Now, if I remember rightly, it was the poster where basically uh, you're sat there on a bench. Yeah. In a yep. skirt with your legs wide yes. open. Yes. 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 <laughs> and that, yeah, I remember that being on the side of a bus, funnily what? enough. What? In, so in Stoke-on-Trent, I remember so seeing that. promoting the movie, I was in the States filming another movie, so I could only come out for a very short window. And I don't even know if I was able to make the premiere. Um, I feel like I wasn't able to make the premiere. And so this is all news to me. This is all, I didn't get to experience that. Oh yeah, just, just a lot of people, especially on this aisle, uh -huh. remember you from that movie. And it is a, a popular favorite. Still, a lot of people yeah. uh, flag that one. And wow. um, there's there's one other movie where you have kind of a bit of a small role, but I, I had to bring it up because I I saw it from going through your credits. Uh, there was a Lucy Liu movie called Rise Blood Hunter. Yeah, where basically you do the uh, the Shirley Eaton gold Goldfinger bit uh, in all the pictures that we can find of you from this thing, you're just dead on a bed, lying there covered in blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know, have you, have you worked with the with the fake blood before? No. Yeah, okay. I haven't. You have. <laughs> so, yeah, Steve. Steve yeah, it gets night. very sticky very it very does. quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> know that so i'm on the bed for the duration of the scene and unbeknownst to me i was attached to it by nature of the the blood turning into a solid and i ripped my skin as i came off that i just had no idea um but yeah that was a, another great experience and then of course i went on to work with lucy we sort of transitioned she came on to dirty sexy money while i was leaving i've, I've always been a big fan of hers um mm. is elementary still on I mean, that was uh, on forever. No, I think I think that finished. Okay. I think it's finished. I think it's finished. Yeah. No, yeah. I um, I I I I've done a few things, but I remember I was in a production of Dracula. Uh, I was playing Renfield. Uh -huh. I had my head shaved, and then every uh -huh. single night I had to get my throat ripped out. Uh huh. So I, so there was just this point. There was this point where as soon as I did it, and I was lying on the stage floor. Right. I'd get up and then go into the back, and then. By that time, it had all just solidified and coagulated. Right. And you're trying to take this Hessian thing off and you're twisting it. Yeah. It's all kind of crumbling uh, in front of you. Yeah, not fun. I, I, no, I, not fun at all. I hope they have better techniques now. That that was a while ago. 
<laughs> you might they'll just AI some blood onto you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Dirty Sexy Money uh, because, funnily enough, that is one of the first major comments that came up when I promoted that you were coming onto the show. So oh. people on Facebook were like, oh, she was amazing in Dirty oh. Sexy Money, where you played uh, Juliet Darling. Yes. That's correct, isn't it? Juliet yes. Darling. Yes. Uh, the Everyone kind of linked it to a Paris Hilton style yes. character that yeah. you're playing. And you did do it fabulously. Um, it was it was a good recurring role for that first season. So I'm going to ask you, why didn't you come back for the second season? <laughs> well, uh, as I mentioned <laughs> earlier, I had some I I so I went through some struggles with addiction, and right. it okay. yeah. So when um what what was really interesting and in just like the nature of addiction is that. You know, you, ha you can have a dream from the time you're three years old, be in the midst of achieving it, and suddenly that's less important than the addiction. And that was really what was happening. And, and I don't know if there was an element, you know, not everybody has the same experience, but um, as you mentioned, I had all these jobs, and I, I definitely took it for granted. Like, I just thought like, well, you want it, you get it. That's how it works. That's how, yeah. that's how Hollywood works. Like I show up and the job is there. And, and in many ways that, that was it. So then when I, I, I don't know. And, I, and I've thought about this a lot and I wonder, you know, was there part of me that was trying to self-sabotage or was there part of me that wanted to challenge myself and things, make things more challenging or was it just addiction? I, I, I couldn't really say it's probably an aspect of all of those things. Um, and, and when I say that I lost everything, I, I really did. I, I burnt every bridge known to man. Um, and then fortunately, um, Hollywood is, tends to be fairly forgiving or m maybe the word would be forgetful. And, um, <laughs> and politely forgetful. Um, I was able to get sober, clean and sober and work my way back. The interesting thing was because I was no longer young and naive, it was far more challenging in many ways. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that's why I was not invited back for season two. Um, although they'd probably never admit to that. That was, I certainly wasted some production time and, and money because of my, my behavior. And, um, you know, and that's not professional or right. So they probably did the right thing in in moving forward. Um, but that was an interesting experience. Talk about your face on the side of buses. I was I was in rehab at the time of filming. I, I checked myself into a rehab, and it was not one of those luxurious ones. It was in the Deep Valley, which if you know Los Angeles is not <laughs> yeah. somewhere people frequent. Um, and so I'd be driving to a meeting in what they called the druggy buddy, but druggy buggy. And this is where they bring all the patients to, you know, go get help. And then on the side of a bus right next to me would be my face on Dirty Sexy Money or the billboard on Dirty Sexy Money. And so it was quite a humbling experience, I think, obviously shaped quite, quite the character of, of who I am now. Because if you can, you know, overcome something that, uh, it's one thing to lose. It's one thing to get everything. It's one thing to lose everything, and then have it. Another thing just to have it so in your face of how royally you've messed up. 
um, and then to carry on and stay sober, which I have. So it's been 16 years. And um, well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, and I think it's important to be honest about those things at the time. We weren't encouraged to talk about that for obvious reasons. I, I, I certainly wouldn't make it my calling card. Like this is who I am. Cause it's not who I am. It's an aspect of who I am. And, yeah. um, I think it's not necessary to do that, but I, I also think it's important to know that, you know, if people are having struggles or are people who have experienced it and got through it as well, you know, for me, hearing that Bradley Cooper doesn't drink makes me feel pretty good, you know, and for, for obviously the same reasons I'm, I'm assuming, I, I think, I think I heard him say that once. Um, I could be jumping to conclusions, but yeah, so that, so that's a long answer for your short question. Yeah. All I did was quit smoking. So that's very good. That it is, is very so big. hard to do. Because you quitting smoking helped me to quit smoking because I wouldn't have someone who had cigarettes around. Yeah. It, it's crazy now. And looking back, it was 2007. No, it's 2006 I got clean. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you so, have 17 years then. I'm closing in on 20. Oh, wait. 2007. Closing in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you, you've got, A few more years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, that's yes. amazing. Yeah. So 2007 was mine. Mine. Oh, cool. I'm so glad that you did change your life around and come back because then you appear on The Mentalist okay, in so 2012. That was the biggest. So that was the same network that invited me not to come back. Okay. So at some point I had some time. I relapsed. I, I was on the show. I was using... I got fired. I got so no, sorry, I didn't get fired. I was I went to rehab while I was filming, and then I was invited back, not back, while we were on hiatus. And then, at that point, I I had at least six months sober, and I um, I was willing to do whatever it took, like whatever my manager said I would do. And I was like the perfect little actress that you could possibly imagine. And I think in many ways I. I was so afraid to be myself because I had gone so, so hardcore being myself. Like you can't tell me what to do, you know, to the point where I was afraid to trust myself and I entrusted in, um, everyone around me, which to some degree is helpful. And I think had to be part of the process. Like I was so lucky in my early career and, and even into my sobriety, I had a manager who fully believed in me and, if you don't have someone like that, it doesn't have to be a manager, but you need someone around you who's like, you've got this, we're going to do this. I believe you. I'm going to, you know, make sure this had, he was everything. And, um, I, I might've like surrendered a little bit too much into what, you know, what his suggestions were. I, I don't think he expected, and I, I'm not trying to put it on him. What I'm saying was I, I lost my sense of self in, in many ways. And what happened was I had this audition uh, for another project with Mimi, Mimi driver. And at this point, I think I was three years sober and I, I finally was awakening to my own capability again and not so much in fear of who I had turned into prior. And, um, I, I had this thought like, wow, I really need to just follow my gut again. Like I've, I've gone this route. It's not really working. There was a big lull of time where, you know, I think the, the biggest job offer I had was, uh, oh gosh, what's that movie? All I remember is there was like a naked uh, bathtub 
uh, foursome in it. And 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 it was Hot not tub it time was, machine. <laughs> no, <laughs> that would have been cool. Um, I can't remember. It was it was it was variation four. So this was the fourth version movie, meaning that this was like a. When I remember, I'll tell you it. But um, uh, uh, Steve's putting a clip of that movie was, right here. It was like the first. I, anyways, I didn't end up taking it. The point is, it wasn't something. It was a long wall. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I think I need to do it. I need to find myself again. If I only just dyed my hair pink, I think that that would set me apart from everyone else in Hollywood. And I had this audition for, I was testing for this pilot. And um, I was, I told my manager, I, you have to, I have to do this. He's like, absolutely not. You're in the middle of this process. You can't do that. So finally I was like, please just tell them I'm going to do that. So he called the casting director and said, Samira really wants to dye her hair pink. I was already in the process. So the producers had already seen me without my hair pink. So it'd be quite shocking. Although I do still to this day think I should have done it without even saying anything. And the casting director said, absolutely not. We're actually, okay, this is how auditions work. The producers and the directors always have their favorite. They have their favorite. They have the person they'll settle with. And then they have a ringer, the person that nobody wants. So it, it funnels it down to the few to two choices. So if you're in a situation as three or four people, you know you're either the ringer, the one no one wants, or you've got the job, essentially. So uh, that was the, the variation I was in. I think there were two other girls and myself. The character was sort of like a like a computer nerd type, uh, like fast talking, kind of like if Anna from the OC got into CSI, and yeah. um, and so. They said, absolutely not. Um, we have another actress and we're asking her to dye her hair pink. So I was like, what in the world? I knew my instincts were right. So long story short, they wanted that girl. She got the job and I was like, I'm dying my hair. pink." From there, all of a sudden I was back into, I know I've got this gut instinct. I know how to roll within this industry again. I'm not going to try to be sort of the stereotypical characters that are already scripted. I'm going to be the character I'm going to be. And what's different is going to set me apart and get me the job. And so I did this other movie, Pink Hair. It was like, I can't believe they're letting you work like that. You know, like who wants to see pink hair? And then I got the audition for The Mentalist. I wanted this role so bad. But I also at the time had inner peace. I was following my own heart. I, I actually had broken my hand. So I had a cast on like, I was like, you know, I'm just going to do my, the best I can. And if I get it, I get it. I know that pretty much everyone who wasn't on a show or wasn't on a film really wanted that job also. So the stakes were pretty high. I got the job, but the most significant and you'll, you'll love, you'll appreciate this. I mean, you probably both will, but just understanding the process of amends and whatnot was that it meant so much to me because it was the same network that I had yeah. royally messed up on. They felt confident enough to bring me on again for an eight series arc. And also when I got to set, I went and I made an amends to a woman who was, you know, like either first AD or PA on this particular project where she had intervened on something in particular. And I gave her a hard time because, you know, I was basically, I was caught. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so she caught me and, um, I, w I went up to her and she was the, she was the, the second AD on set and I, and I made an amends. I want to make amends for my behavior. She 
started crying because she said, I have a problem. I have a drinking problem and I need help. And I just was in a car accident and you say, and I've been praying about it, asking for help. And you coming up and saying this to me is so obviously a sign. So it was, it was okay. just, a, it was a beautiful to get that redemption, to be on set. And I played a drug addict on set, you know, and, and I, I was, they, had full confidence, obviously my capability to do that probably because they had heard or seen about it. But, um, but also they, they appreciated what I, the craft I was bringing and what I did. And I enjoyed the process. The character arc was unlike any arc I've ever had. It started as a call girl prostitute turned drug informant, turned love interest, turned junkie, turned pregnant. And I mean, it was just, I, you never get those experiences. You so rarely do, even as a regular. So that that's certainly one of my favorite jobs ever and just means so much to me um, for so many reasons. It's amazing how many uh, people that we've talked to have ended up being in The Mentalist. The Mentalist. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we've had more people who've been in The Mentalist than The Mentalist has, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, um, it, that is... That is a great kind of seal of approval on your comeback. And you've gone on, you've been in Sons of Anarchy as well. Yes. Uh, not so long ago. Well, probably about 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now you're taking these like new steps into, you know, yes. doing like, independent movies. You're producing your own movies yeah. as well. Yeah. And uh, if you kind of look back at yourself in the mid 2000s, right when things were at the top. Yeah. You were going to go back and give your self advice that would yeah. also carry over to other actresses who are kind of at that age range now. What would that be from you? Um, you know, find those confidants, those people that you can really trust. If, if I felt heard and seen entirely, and this is probably, you know, my poor judgment in terms of who I surrounded myself with and allowed in, into my life. Um, I, I think that would have been, and not to say that it was anyone else's fault, but my own, but to get the feedback, to hear that your instincts, and I hear this all the time now because I have really good people around me. It's like, follow your gut, you know, you know, and follow your intuition and um, the, it'll, it'll never do you wrong. And, um, I didn't feel connected to that truth before. I mean, there were jobs that I took and that people liked that I didn't want to do. And I felt in many ways, because I was so young, I didn't feel confident in the ability to say no to things in terms of mm -hmm. projects and, um, to a little bit more creative flexibility or freedom of when and where, but you know, there's also this thing of like, well, you have to strike while the iron's hot. So how do you learn to endure that? I don't know how you can teach someone who's never experienced that, how to endure the pace of this steadily progressing rising star and everything that comes along with it. Um, you can, you can try and share as much experience as possible, but I, I don't know that I would have heard it. You know, I, I was so self-consumed with what was going on in my own head. I, it would have, it probably would have been meaningless. I would, I wish going back, I had 
more respect for myself in many ways, obviously what I did to pollute my body. I wish I didn't, I really wish I didn't do that. But then again, look, I wouldn't be, have evolved to the mental state I am in now. Um, and every low, every road has its own path and own reasoning. And, um, and you know, you don't want to live in regret. Um, and ideally you learn from all the tragedies that you endure and bring upon yourself. Um, and ultimately you just keep shooting for the stars. Uh, but I think the number one thing is uh, allow the space and clarity to be able to hear yourself. Um, because sometimes you just keep going so fast that you, you can't even tap it. There's nothing to tap into because it's so loud inside your head. You, you wouldn't be able to, if you tried. That's very good advice. Absolutely. Perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. So Samira. Yeah. We're at the point of the show now. Tell us what you can. What have you got coming out? What have you got coming okay, up? Okay, yes. Yeah, so in the, the other interesting thing is like, you know, every I would say this is a universal thing. Everyone who's been in the industry as long as I have or, or longer, the early 2000s were just this like glorious golden era of film and television. Um, it, you know, so much was getting made, so much money was being spent. But when I say so much, not to the extent that we have now, where it's quantity over quality. Um, so much good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, it was a different world. P- actors were getting paid more per job. Writers were getting paid more per job. Producers were probably getting paid less per job. <laughs> Maybe they're making the same. I don't know. But they're the ones making the money now, which, you know, it's its own job. But so much <laughs> in the industry and in many ways the system as it operates has has begun to lack function and this meaning that like this last season of pilot season they you know they greenlit i I think it's something like 10 to 30 projects where it used to be hundreds of projects or instead of green lighting them they're just picking up the whole series They're, they're not even making the pilot so were you as an actor or writer could could survive off of one pilot for the year that doesn't even exist anymore point being is that the system is radically changing in so many ways which is very scary if you're used to that pattern of operation but it's pretty liberating if you see it as a dysfunctional one and are looking towards another way of creating you know and thankfully with the process of all the type of technologies and easy accessibility to uh, platforms to edit on and cameras to operate, you can create your own content. Now, ideally you get the opportunity to do that in sort of a larger, not just you and a, a camera, but start there for one, which I did. And I, I realized through this process, it was actually on a show called Resurrection where I was number eight on the call sheet, which meant that I worked maybe once every eight days. And in theory, like, wow, you only worked one every eight days, but you made so much money. But for me, it's like, I want to be in the, the clay. I want to be in the process of creating and experiencing and work. I like that. I, and I don't, it does, it's not as exciting as an actor. And you, it's, you know, it's like when your job is between action and cut and everybody else mm-hmm. keep, gets to stay and keeps getting to make creative ideas and you're, yeah. you're like, I have an idea. And they're like, Shh, you know, but uh, it, it, it occurred to me like, wow, what I really want to do is be a part of the creative process, not just the speaking process or emoting process and, or conveying feeling process. Um, so I, I this particular year in, in the wake of the, how odd the world's been in the last three years, 
and actually I started having this sort of awakening probably 2017 was like, I'm not going to wait anymore. I want to do, I, I, I have the ability to make creation. There's so many things we're capable of putting the right people together and making something happen, but particularly the, the production side in producing. So I, I literally said to the universe just a few months ago, you know, I'm ready to produce. I want, I want to get into that. And the thing about putting manifestation or dream out there is like, you don't actually have to know how you're going to do it. You just want to know what you're going to do and then see how the pieces of the puzzle start to align in the process. All of a sudden within a week, I, I got, I, I, I kid you not. I think it's, it could be four to five or it could be three to four within one week offers to Hey, I have this project. I, I, I'd like you to be a part of it as an actor, but if you're interested, I'd also like you to produce it, which is kind of weird because I, I don't have any production history under underneath in my IMDb. So it was just, you know, the universe bringing into alignment the, the, the moment of opportunity with your desired outcome. And so I've got these pieces of pro, these projects, a couple, a couple, a film, a ser- and two series, and you know a couple other IPs that I'm I'm in the process of developing, and um, because the times have changed, I'm able to take it in routes that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. And movement is being made, and um, along yeah. the way, I'm making a lot of really great friends who are in alignment on how you know the how they see the process to be accessible to them now, and um, it feels really magical again. I feel in many ways very in that same sort of, I'm so naive, I just believe it's going to happen. So it probably will type of moment that I was 20 something years ago. So um, that's what's going on. I still get the, you know, uh, offer for a film here or there. Um, but I'm really excited to craft the idea of the project from the ground up um, and, and bring it to life. Okay, well, my uh, CV's in the uh, the email for you. Um, just look over yeah. it at you, Will. Uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Samara. This has been a fantastic experience talking oh. to you. It really, really has been a lot of fun deep delving into your career. Um, so thank you very much for coming on. Um, and if you want to talk to us about anything that you've heard this episode yeah. or in any of our other episodes, uh, then you can get in contact with us all through the socials. Uh, the links are coming up on your screen below. You know it by now. It's facebook.com forward slash Poddywood. You can get us on Twitter at Poddywood. You can get us on the r slash Poddywood subreddit. You can get us on LinkedIn. You can get us on Instagram. I think we're probably on there. You can get us on uh, Tumblr friend face my dorm um just uh you know and anywhere really that you've seen in just like a movie from the early 2010s really and more importantly right here on youtube which is why we need subscribers the button is right below steve somewhere there you go we need you to subscribe We want to bring more fascinating people onto the show. We've got a wave of amazing guests coming on. It's ridiculous. I think we've actually filled our guest quarter for the year. We've also got the Patreon. Yeah. Patreon. Patreon. I knew we were forgetting one. Yes, you were forgetting one. Do your job. Um, Sorry. Yes, we've also got our Patreon page. The link should be coming up. Hold on. Let me just try and work out the editing. Should be coming up here. 
<laughs> yes. That 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 should be right on your screen. No expense um, spared on the graphics there. No, just just the PNG file flashing up on the screen. Uh, yeah. So if you want to support us on Patreon, it's only like the price of a cup of coffee, and then you get to get uh, not only the audio versions of these episodes coming out earlier, you also get them in a much higher quality than you do get normally, and you also will be getting some tasty little offcuts from the main shows popping up every now and again, and. Maybe if exclusive me and Andy content. can... <laughs> yes, exclusive content, yes. Doesn't sound as seedy as it is. No. <laughs> and we may even do Pottywood After Dark again at some point. Oh, yes, we have to. Maybe. Gino's already said he wants to come and join us on that one. Yeah. Oh, um, for now, uh, Samira Armstrong, um, I am such a huge believer in you. And uh, I'm I'm so looking forward to seeing where your career goes. I know our paths are going to cross at some point very yeah. soon. Um, in the meantime, I want to say thank you so much for joining us. And it's been a true pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you for that trip down memory lane. I mean, you, you shared with me so many things I actually wasn't aware of. And I, I, I'm truly humbled. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for taking the time. Oh, that's what we're here for. Right. Well, with that in mind, it is a goodbye from Samira. It is a goodbye from me. I guess I've got to go as well. No one's going to watch me on my own. Bye. Bye.